I am Sarah Vine and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Mail Plus. I am joined this week as every week by my friend and co-host Imogen Edwards-Jones. Imogen, it's very exciting today mm. because Boris Johnson has been made an honorary Cossack. Oh. And I happen to know, because you are my friend mm. and I've known you for 100,000 years, that you are an honorary Cossack. I'm going to welcome him into the family. And, and you brought in your special little Cossack card. Cossack card, which says that yeah. you're number 85. Can you read it out? <laughs> it's tremendous. It's like something no, well, out of the Cold War. Just, well, yes. So, no, well, about 30 years ago, I was made a Cossack. How and why? I was extremely drunk, obviously. Most good stories start <laughs> with that, don't they? I was extremely drunk and I was in Rostov on Don. And I had knew I had to go a meeting the Ataman, who's the head of the Cossacks there. And we had this Because very, you were writing a book. I was writing a book, yes. So uh, it was dinner, well, lunch, sorry, for 30 men and me. And I thought... <laughs> and I've, you were what, 22? 23. And oh. I thought, I've really got... Because they always, you always have to make a speech. Yeah. So I thought, I learnt the night before in Russian a quote from Sholokov which is, give the Cossacks back their land and they will feed Russia for eternity. Right. And it's a very famous quote from... Crowd pleaser. Yes, that was it. And they got so pissed, they picked me up and ran out of the cave where we were eating, down onto the Don River where we were all drunk, skating around on the ice, all falling over. I don't know what we thought we were doing. Anyway, they thought at that point that I should be made an honorary Cossack. So that we went back to, back to the office where the... Ataman, he was, his eyes were red with alcohol, sat there stamping passports, saying, this is you, and I got a fantastic photograph of it all happening. Anyway, I thought it was a load of old rubbish until about five years later when my lovely photographer who was with me was arrested in St. Petersburg. And he said, he brought out this little tiny passport thing. He went, I'm a real Cossack. And the policeman looked at it and went, oh, yeah, so you are. Off you go. <laughs> So it's real. You it's are real. an honorary, you yeah. are a Cossack. I am a Cossack, yes. And it means that my son is entitled to carry a sabre oh in goodness. Russia. And does he have to wear his hat in a special way? He does, yes. So they're Cossacks. If, if you're in the normal army, you have to wear your hat horizontally. But if you're a Cossack, you can wear it at a 90 degree jaunty angle. With a little hair flick. With a hair flick, yep. So well done, Boris. I think yes. he probably got it for slightly more important reasons than I did. <laughs> well, Doris, yeah, you got it for... Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously it's up to the Cossacks what they award it for, isn't it? Mm, yes, exactly, yes. What are the Cossacks? They are, well, they're a sort of an ethnic group, I suppose, mm. but they are also very, very fierce soldiers. Mm. They, they were the most loyal to the Tsar mm. and in different parts of Russia and the mm. Ukraine. So they're basically all down in the south. But they're very, very fierce warriors is what they are. What, even now? Yes, yeah. So, so are they soldiers predominantly? Yes, yeah. So so are they like the sort of... Like the, the SAS. Gurkhas, for example. <laughs> well, yes, they are. They are they, yes. they, that's a much better example. Yeah, they're like the Gurkhas, yeah. But they're very, very, very fierce. And, right. uh, and they're from different parts. So you can get Don Cossacks, which are different from the Ukrainian Cossacks. But they're all part of the same ethnic so group. So do you think you th theoretically you could be conscripted? Not me, but, but my, my slightly chubby North London son could be, yes. <laughs> well, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. And what a triumph for Boris. Yes, well done him. I mean, they, they look slightly sort of, you know, that jaunty angle with the hat would suit him down to the ground. Oh, yes, yes. Mm. And your book, which is available in good in all good second-hand bookstores, was 30 years old now. It's called The Taming of Eagles. Mm. Yeah, it's very old. It's rather good, actually. It's got some fantastic photographs in it mainly of, the, of Russia 30 years ago. Yeah, and mainly me looking quite odd. 
very yeah. short, dark yes. hair. You just look very young. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so sweet. Really little, I know. Anyway, coming up on today's show. The Queen's Platinum Jubilee was a resounding success, but what conclusions can we draw from the celebrations? We will be joined by Royal Commentator Richard Fitzwilliams, who will explain all. Plus, Hannah Betts and her pet dog Pimlico have visited a festival of all things canine, and she joins us to tell us all about what goes on at Good Woof. <laughs> but first, it's been another turbulent few days in Westminster. <laughs> Boris Johnson, or Joris Bonson, as they call him. In that <laughs> <laughs> Who that calls him Pat? Joris Bonson. It was in... Doris? Uh, that, uh, jo- no, Joris <laughs> oh, Bonson okay. in that brilliant This Country oh, okay. television show, which right. made me laugh. Yeah. I can, so now I always call him Joris Bonson. <laughs> yeah, Joris. Anyway, okay. Boris Johnson faced and won a vote of no confidence this week. In response, he announced that his political career has barely started, but questions are being asked about his future. Dan Hodges, columnist for The Mail on Sunday and generally super political pundit, brilliant. joins us now. Dan, hello. Hello. I don't think... It's going as well as he thinks, do you? (laughs) I think that is the understatement of the week, Mm. if not the year. I mean, I have to be perfectly honest. I am struggling to see how he turns this around politically. I mean, we've seen he can't extricate himself from the Partygate scandal. Even if he can extricate himself from the Partygate scandal, we keep having this constant mantra, we need to move on. What is he moving on to? cost of living crisis, by-election defeats, further discontent, maybe vote strikes amongst Tory MPs. Yeah. A situation where 148 of his own MPs don't want him to be Prime Minister, as we saw it. I mean, the thing is, though, that I mean, I do think that there is no obvious alternative mm. at the moment. So I do think it's in everyone's interests to try and make him work. But the question, I think, is, is he prepared to do what it takes to try and at least turn it around? And so far... He doesn't seem to be understanding the Mm. sort of seriousness of his predicament. I mean, this constant bluster, this sort of, you know, I'm only at the start of my political career. No, Mm. actually, you need to acknowledge your mistakes and you just need to be more... Do you think he just needs to be more serious about it? I just get this sense that he thinks he can carry on being... Bojo the bear. But if he's having a sort of Jackie Weaver moment when he's got no authority here, it's quite difficult to claw back authority once you've lost it, I think. I mean, I remember immediately after he won he won that 80 seat yeah. majority and i remember at the time asking right what is, exactly is it boris wants to do with it and i remember at the time answer came there none you know almost 3 years later i'm i'm, I'm still searching for an answer now obviously we had the pandemic which cut across everything mm. but i i still struggle to see what it is Boris actually wants to do with his premiership. Yeah, what's his vision other than just becoming prime minister? And I mm. think that's that is a really good question. I mean, obviously, he came to power on the promise of Brexit, which was very difficult to deliver. And he sort of vague, I mean, they haven't really delivered it. Mm. But I think that, as you say, the pandemic did derail him. And for a moment, actually, he did very well. I think mm. he was quite good at dealing with that crisis. But yeah, as you say, it's it's when that's all gone and what's what remains, and and it's not really clear what remains. I mean, the levelling up agenda, I suppose. But I mean, actually, the cost of living is a crisis as big, if not slightly bigger, I think, than COVID. Mm. I mean, maybe it doesn't feel that way yet, but I think it will be. Completely agree, and I think I think there are two things. I think in the COVID crisis, we saw the best of Boris. I mean, he, mm. he levelled with the country about the scale of the problem. He was prepared to go against his natural instincts to to protect people by introducing the lockdown. Mm. Obviously, the vaccine rollout was a triumph. 
And I think that's the biggest problem with Partygate, not actually the detail of the events. It's the way it's now completely toxified the whole broader COVID handling. You then lump on top of that the cost of living crisis, where frankly, Boris, Rishi, the government in general, don't seem to have the first idea how to even address it, never mind actually practically find some sort of solution. And that's why I think his political problems are probably are terminal. Yeah, and I think that's why so many Conservative voters are cross about the Partygate thing, because it's undermined mm. what was otherwise actually a very good handling of a terrible situation. It's the shooting yourself in the foot. Mm. And it just goes back to this thing with Boris where he just doesn't take himself seriously enough. He wants to be this sort of hell fellow well met type mm. person, which, you know... Well, not, he just wants to be popular, doesn't he? Just he? Wants to be popular. Within, actually, within his own party, you know, I think. He, yeah. If he had walked into those rooms with those people having mm. drinks and said, actually, guys, this is not OK. Yes. You all have to go back to your desks because yeah. I'm afraid you can't do this. But he couldn't do that because it's just not in his character. Because well, he wanted to be, you know, everyone to like yeah. him. Yeah, and... Someone once said to me that every politician is always in the end brought down by their fundamental flaw. Mm. You know, if it's money, it's greed, it's incorrupt. And with him, this is his fundamental flaw, his inability to really take it seriously mm. enough and to do what's required and to understand that it's not a joke. There is no joke. Mm. There is never any joke. But I also think the idea that being prime minister was his it was his goal, mm. uh, just the idea of getting into number 10 was what he wanted to do. Mm. And now he's walked into number 10, he doesn't really know what to do. It feels like he's walking around sort of lolling on the sofa going, well, is this one more comfortable than that one? <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the problems we're seeing is the fundamental flaw in the populist political model that Boris has adopted, which is, if, it, it's fine being a populist, but you have to remain popular. Mm. What now is 148 of his MPs want him gone. There was a poll, a con-home poll this week, which showed a majority of Tory members want him gone. Two vital by-elections coming up with, in which everybody seems to think they're going to demonstrate they want him gone. I mean, you were saying before, there is no alternative. And to the point now, where certainly Conservative MPs are of the view, anyone would be a better alternative. That's the danger for him. Yeah, yeah but- I mean, they're panicking now, obviously, about losing the next election. And I think it's going to be very difficult for the Tories mm. to win the next election. That's my personal feeling. And I think that, I think because of a combination of factors, you know, people just want to change. They've been yeah. in power for a very long time. They have to. You know. But also don't give me Jeremy Hunt again. No. I mean, literally, <laughs> enough of the Jeremy Hunt. He keeps turning up, you know. No, we, no one likes you. Go away. <laughs> Stop it. That's yeah. a little bit on harsh on poor Jeremy. Some people like him. I know, I'm not sure I know, be elected the next Tory leader. but <laughs> I know. But honestly, Dan, he's had a good crack at the whip. He's been offered up about five times, hasn't he, as the alternative. <laughs> who, God loves a who, would, who would you put in instead of good Boris? Question. Who's your person? Look, I've got to be honest. There isn't anybody that, you know, especially bowls me over. I think if you were to ask me who I think is likeliest to take mm. over... You know, I've been saying this for a few months now, and I've been, I've been in fairness, I've been laughed at for saying it a few months, but I'm, I'm sticking with it. I still think Liz Truss would be my personal, <sighs> personal favourite. I think the reason why Liz became sort of soared to the top of the personality <laughs> rankings is she's one of the ministers, she's one of the few ministers 
actually demonstrated what Brexit can look like and sort of given some sort of flesh on the Brexit vote. But isn't that just because of her brief? It's partly because of her brief, but other people had briefs in which they were, you know, in which they were supposed to be demonstrating what Brexit was supposed Mm. to be delivering for the country. Obviously, Pretty, Mm. for example, she was supposed to have a great brief in which this was now given the opportunity Mm. to get to grips with immigration. How's that working out? You know, Rishi, he was supposed to be demonstrating, you know, how we were going to get these great economic benefits from Brexit. How's that working out? Mm. You know, Boris himself, when Boris was, you know, was foreign secretary. I mean, I'm not entirely sure he was, you know, massively successful as, or is still massively successful as mapping out a proper vision of global Britain. So mm. I, I think that's where, where, where Liz has an edge on the others. Well, she's certainly bright. And, and but they'll just play, play that cheese clip forever. Yeah, no, the cheese clip is a problem. I mean... <laughs> The cheese clip is terrible. Yeah. But that was a long time ago, to be fair. So, come on, it was almost 20 years ago now, I think. I don't know, maybe not well, quite she as was well saving Boris, cheese. <laughs> if Boris could get to be Prime Minister after that clip of him hanging on the zip wire... Well, that's yes, exactly. No, you're completely right. Yes. You're com- no, you are completely right. No, no, I, I mean, I know Liz relatively well, and mm-hmm. I think I'm sure she's very incredibly clever. bright. Yeah. And, I mean, Christ, why would she want to do it? That's no. the question. Because the truth is that... You know, even if she is the messiah, mm. they've still got a mountain to climb. And the whole cost of living thing is not really... I mean, I was talking to somebody about this on the BBC yesterday, and the truth is is that, you know, their solutions are quite limited. I mean, there's not an awful lot they can do about it because it's to do with macro events rather Geopolitics. than... Geopolitics. Exactly. Mm. I'll just say one thing on this, this because I, I, I mean, I, I do agree that there are a number of fundamentals working against Boris mm. and the government at the moment. But I, I don't buy this... They've got a mountain to climb. They've got to climb Keir Starmer. You know, they've got to beat <laughs> Keir Starmer. Now, I'm, I'm sorry. And I go with it. I, you know, I do hear this. Who could possibly... He's a hillock. He's a bit you of know, a... He's just a hillock, really, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> I mean, this idea sleeping that Boris policeman. and only, only Boris's magic touch can beat Keir Starmer, you know, I, I think any of them, frankly, could beat Keir Starmer. And I know a lot of Labour MPs also are of that view. I mean, the nut... You know, there are so many Labour MPs who are privately, you know, crossing their fingers and toes and hoping Durham police get them out of the mess. Well, I mean, he didn't, he didn't really... Fine. I mean, I think, it, I think oh, the next election is idea. winnable for the Conservatives. Well, I'm glad that you think that. I mean, I think the morale in the Tory party is very low at the moment. But yeah, I like the idea that uh, Keir Starmer is just a small hillock. <laughs> <laughs> hillock a, a hillock with a P. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, Dan. Thank you very much. For, for, okay. That was Dan Hodges, political columnist for the Mail on Sunday. He's very good. He's very good, mm. yes. Last weekend, the nation enjoyed four days of celebrations in honour of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. But now that the dust has settled, what can we gain? Glean, rather, from the weekend about the royal family and its future. Joining us now is royal expert Richard Fitzwilliams. Richard, hi. Thanks for joining us. I thought it went spectacularly well for everybody except for Harry and Meghan. Mm. Absolutely. And I think that we couldn't have hoped for better weather. And of course, an absolutely magnificent pageantry. And the fact was that it was superbly organized. So far as Harry and Meghan are concerned, I mean, at this time, the palace knew how to organize it. And I think they did it perfectly. Harry and Mm. Meghan arriving on the Wednesday. Then on the Thursday, they appear tripping the color, but nobody sees them other than the press at the uh, windows. On the Friday, they attend at St. 
pause, but they're seated very carefully, and that was, I thought, superbly done. They don't go to the Guildhall afterwards. At some point between Thursday and Friday, the Queen reportedly sees Lily. On Saturday, the Cambridges are in Cardiff, perfectly arranged with George and Charlotte, so they don't interact, and indeed, this is Obed Scobie has recently posted that, and subsequently the Sussexes leave, and there's a lot of publicity about the fact that they may or may not have met Prince Charles and so on, that they didn't uh, meet, apparently, the Cambridges, but the facts were that this was all organized with the intention, they were never going to overshadow it, but with the intention of making absolutely certain that it was all about the Queen. Yes, I mean, and I think they did a really good job of keeping the Sussexes at arm's length. Mm. And I think what this all shows is that the royal family is perfectly okay without them and has actually moved on from their drama. Mm. I mean, they must have gone home to California thinking, okay, we're a bit irrelevant, yes, really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't you think? And of course, their currency, they would have wanted to have that shot of Lilibet with Lilibet. Yes, or as someone called it, the Lilibucks photo. Exactly. Yeah. Which the Queen, who may be 96, but just as sharp as a box of razor blades didn't let them have because why should she play their game after everything and I think they're in real trouble because their whole thing is you know their connection to the royal family and the royal family I think made it quite clear that um they'd had enough that they were they've had enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yes, they're outside. They are outsiders, but it's their mm. own wish. It's their own behaviour. And of course, if you give an interview as damaging, which it has been, the polls have shown that uh, certainly among the young, like Oprah, mm. and you give your truth and it's not challenged in any way. Some recollections indeed may vary, and. This was very, very clearly uh, in everyone's mind. But the problem is what comes now? Uh, what about Harry's memoir? According mm. to Emmett Scobie, these rather weird comments about the future of the royal family being rather dull once the Queen has departed scene and very, very curious. It's almost as though he was speaking on their behalf, which of course he tends to. But mm. I'm wondering, uh, you mentioned, uh, Sarah, of course, absolutely right, that they rely totally on being royals for everything, uh, with Spotify, with Netflix and so on, and with the whole profile and status of what happens, I wonders, in the future. Exactly. You know, as that currency drains away, which it is doing, mm. not, it should be said, through any action of the royal family themselves, but entirely as a response to their behaviour... Mm. I mean, this is the stupidity of this couple, is that if they'd stopped to think about what they were doing for five minutes, they would have realised that actually it's not a good idea to basically torch the place on the way out. Mm. And then that's what you rely on for your income. But, but they also seem to sort of weaponise everything. So even Lily Bucks's uh, <laughs> birthday party was sort of weaponised in the idea that, you know, who was going to attend and who wasn't going to attend. Mm. The child is one years old. Do you know what I mean? The whole thing is all so, everything's so fraught mm. with sort of high emotion and nothing seems to be easy for them to do. No, it's all a drama. Exactly. A drama, of course, that uh, keeps them in the news. This is the other aspect of it being in the news. They're not interested, of course, in Britain. I know no. they're really the least of Frogmore, but the interest is entirely, as far as I can see, in the US and the, perhaps the wider world. But then again, here's a difficulty. If you want to be philanthropic and admired, bar her mother, who I haven't seen in photographs for some time, uh, 
all her family seem estranged from her, and of course to have mm. further difficulties and a rift with the royal family, bar perhaps usually. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't have thought that was helpful for anything they wanted to do in the future if she did say want to go into politics. It's not an advantage. Mm. No, absolutely not. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, falling out with absolutely everybody, everybody around yeah. you is not is not a good thing to do. I mean, I, I actually feel a tiny bit sorry for them. Is that bad? <laughs> do you? Well, I'm starting to. <laughs> really? I am starting to. I mean, I think we should talk about how brilliantly the whole thing was organised, mm. but also how brilliantly the Cambridges have stepped into the void left behind by... Harry and Meghan, mm. because really, if they were still around, I mean, the thing is, is they should have been front and centre of those celebrations, Harry and Meghan, and well, it would course, have been yeah. so much better if they had been. Mm. You know, it would have been, it would have just been better. Mm. I mean, it would have been great to have seen them all up there, but instead of which, you know, they've ruled themselves out. But I do think that uh, Kate and William have filled the void very successfully. What do you think, Richard? I think they've been absolutely superb, and I think also that with Kate having grown in confidence so, so she's excellent now as a communicator, and of course always from a fashionable point of view. I mean, uh, she's got poise and beauty, uh, I would say glamorous uh, royal couple. I think they've done tremendously well. I think that the, the Cambridges are absolute perfection, and of course William on mental health, on the Earthshot Prize, very, very good speech at the concert uh, and working in that connection in tandem with Charles. Mm. I mean, he certainly looks like he's had it with his brother, doesn't he? He certainly has. I mean, they didn't they didn't exchange a glance. No. At the no that yeah. was planned, of course. I mean, had there been a glance exchanged, if it had been seen not to be friendly, <laughs> mm. <laughs> it would have been the headline and the Queen not being there. And of course, Andrew having had COVID as well mm. as the Do we, Did he really have COVID? I don't, I mean, I'm well, sure. COVID in quotation Do you think marks. it was just a very convenient COVID? Tickly cough. <laughs> what an extraordinary, I, I mean, that I, what, what I can't believe it was Justin Welby's uh, plea for forgiveness for Andrew just before uh, the celebrations. And then, you know, I thought it's normally victims who do the forgiveness. And uh, there was this rather extraordinary yeah. uh, comment. He wrote back partly from it. And then it turned out you get the impression they might have seen each other. I'm sure they very likely did, but but I can't understand that sort of comment. It's almost it's otherworldly to me. Mm, uh, I mean yeah. Andrew's uh, there isn't the remotest the scintilla of a second's chance that he'd ever do royal duties again. And I don't think no. he accepts that. No, he doesn't accept that. Mm-hmm. But I did think it was very convenient that he yeah. got COVID. I also thought the balcony scenes were very, very incredibly well choreographed, particularly the last one when the Queen goes onto the balcony when she's in a green. And it's just Charles and then William and then Prince George. So the line of succession was very much marked out at that point. That was perfection. It really was. Mm. And the anticipation, of course, that was heightened by the fact that until uh, a fairly short while before, we didn't know whether this was going to actually occur. And I do Mm. think it would have been anticlimactic without it, simply because it was sort of building up towards it. It, uh, The Queen obviously would have attended this Thanksgiving service had she been able to, or had it been thought Mm. wise. Uh, And, of course, obviously the Epsom Derby. Hopefully she will be at Ascot next Mm. week. But there was a tremendous feeling. I mean, that really was perfection at the end. Mm. The whole thing, the organisation, the timing was perhaps erratic because when you have parades, they always go on quite a long time. And when you have that sort of marvellously eccentric and colourful mix going down 
on the mall. It was bound to. Yeah, no, I mean, I just think the whole thing was a kind of, I don't know, it felt like a sort of setting out of the stall. This mm. is where we are. This is this mm. is the state of the monarchy. This is mm. this is the condition we're in. And it seemed to me to be quite a tight operation. Yeah. But I think the best part was the Paddington, Paddington sketch. Paddington, <laughs> That actually brought tears to my eyes. Oh, I, so, it was sweet. so sweet. <laughs> so sweet. And, I mean, just shows a side of the Queen that we always suspected was there, but, of course, she can't really show normally. But mm. Also, everyone's always wondered what's in the handbag. Yes. And now we know. It's a marmalade sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Absolutely, uh, following in the footsteps, of course, of the Daniel Craig sketch. And I mean, no other head of state in the world could get away with it, or indeed, probably think that uh, that was appropriate. Right. And it I was mean, she's charming. a good actress. She's mm, a good actress. I, I mean, she should do a part. She should do a cameo. In the yeah, crown. We, we were we were discussing this the other yeah. day. We suddenly thought, wouldn't it be brilliant if she just went to Hollywood for, <laughs> for the last couple of years and went, do you know what? I'm very good at the old acting. I think I might just have, do a few walk-on parts. <laughs> She's rather good at it, said her, rather good at, um, at mimicking. Uh, mm. uh, rather good mimic. I mean, the, 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 it was reported, although I have never heard it confirmed, uh, that the Dean of Windsor, Michael Main, said that she was very good imitating uh, the Concorde fly past at Windsor. And apparently, uh, there was a story at Ascot where when she was in the carriage with Charles, somebody from the crowd shouted out, Give it away, Liz. And Charles said to the Queen, what did she say? And the Queen imitated, repeated it, and gave away. But apparently, you know, she's <laughs> terrific. <laughs> Give it away, Liz. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, you've always had the sense of her, looking back over the years, and footage of her, of a really quite a fun person, mm, mm. who quite a fun-loving person and quite a sort of light-hearted individual who's had to do a very, very serious job all her life. Yeah. And I love what I love about the Paddington sketch is it just gives you a sort of glimpse into what you think might be her secret mm. world of actually having quite a lot of fun, mm, mm. which I would hope. And the expressions, yeah. both, of the ex- both her yeah. expression and Paddington's. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Richard. That was lovely to talk to you. And, well, onwards and upwards. Great pleasure. That was royal expert Richard Fitzwilliams. I mean, you have to be a royal expert if your name is Fitzwilliams, don't you? Oh, I think he's wonderful. I Mm. love him. It's one of our newest and most exciting events on the calendar, but it's one with a twist because Goodwood's Festival, Goodwoof, brackets, get it, close brackets, (laughs) is designed for you and your pet dog. Hannah Betts, who attended the festival with Pimlico the Whippet, joins us now. Mm. Hello, Hannah. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Have you survived? How's the move? Are you, are you now there and all set I'm, up? I'm living in my hovel in Chiswick, yes. It's not oh. a hovel. I've been. It's very nice. <laughs> I'd actually say it's nicer than the other hovel. <laughs> is it a great single girl pad? Yes, it is. It is. It's got a great kitchen. Yeah, it is. It, it's really, ha, actually, it is quite nice, isn't it? Yes, I mean, it's lovely. It's got full of teenagers, of course. I know, yeah. I know. And they're so bloody messy. Your children are the messiest children oh, I've ever seen. A nightmare. I went into Will's room and he went, well, this is my bed. Bit of croissant there on the floor. <laughs> but apart from that, it's lovely. In the manner of David Attenborough, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, why have you got croissant on the floor? I don't Ooh. know. I mean, he's well, just there so could messy. be an emergency, couldn't there? Yeah. No, I, well, because I'd woken up that morning and he tried to make his own croissant in the oven oh. and had burnt it. Uh, not to a crisp, but a carbon. To charcoal. It was carbonised. <laughs> right. And then he had dropped it and it had gone all over the floor. Ah. Uh, yes. Okay. See, I'm my own teenager. I, yeah. I get to be that guy. 
Actually, the funny thing is, is that Beatrice, who was always the messiest, mm. has stepped up to the plate. Well, on not this. really. No. No. Did no. you notice a mess in her? Yes, room? I did. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, that her was... bath was still full. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I went. Beatrice, I hope you're listening. Imogen, it's cold. Auntie Imogen has been checking up on you. <laughs> Your bath was. It was still full. I, like, I love that you've been babysitting. How long ago was that run? Imogen just came round and did a general Imogen inspection. I did, yes. And found that, to be fair to Beatrice, she was selling some clothes on Vinted, which might have been why they were all lying. Anyway, I don't, I don't know why I'm defending her. <laughs> no. Anyway, you're not, we're not here to talk about no. my Move. teenagers. We're here to talk about Goodwoof, oh. which is just a brilliant pun. I mean, they've mm. only done it because it's a pun, right? So what is Goodwoof? Well, it was simply the best weekend of my not-so-young life. I mean, I've had to wait until 51 for this to happen, but it was worth it because, my goodness, it was brilliant. So, Goodworth, it's just heaven. Yeah, is it posh crust? Is it posh crust? <laughs> yes. It is posh crust. Well, it keeps, uh, yes, I think that is a good description. I mean, I've never been to Crufts, but Goodworth is a beautiful Goodwood. So, you're in the shadow of the house, the kennels. It's in beautiful fields. And do you know, everyone sort of raised their game. So although it was full of yobs like me, everyone was sort of beautifully mannered. And uh, there was not a single stray dog turd in sight. I didn't oh. see any dog fights. I mean, the dogs sort of, you know, raised their game. Um, what do the dogs actually do at Goodworth? What are they doing? They sort of... Well, is it like they, a dog if, fashion if you show? Have a doing sort of dog, they can do everything. So there's lots <laughs> I of, don't sort have of a doing strange dog. sports. You know, like sort of oh. dog scooting and heel and I don't. Know, I mean, Pimlico does nothing than sit and get stroked by people. So, um, <laughs> nice. although she did run in a race and she was so quick, she beat the timer. Um, so that oh. was impressive. But that's because she's so neurotic, and we were at the other end of the racetrack. <laughs> so she was there in the blinking of an eye, and they have Norland nannies spelt G-N-A-W land. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, she was too neurotic to be walked by anyone else. So basically, she went around being beautiful and neurotic. But lots of sort of racing, lots of these weird sports. Do you literally just turn up with your dog and just hang out? Yeah, and there's champagne, there's a Tattinger tent. Goodwood's got its own Ooh. excellent gin, I'm told, because of course I'm right. sober. Lots yes. of celebrities. So brilliantly, on the Saturday, they had... Mission Impossible's Hayley Atwell giving out mm. the dog prizes. And then on Sunday, they had to make do with me, which was a bit of a come down for them. They had mm -hmm. sort of people, Anna Chancellor, Hugh Bonneville were reading dog stories. So there's a literary tent where they've got dog authors and dog celebrities. There's a vet mm. tent. There's a sort of foodie area. <laughs> I mean, it was just heaven. It I mean, sounds like it, a weekend of punnilingus. Everything is, <laughs> everything is a pun. Well, there's some debate between the Duke and the Duchess as to who came up with the term Goodworth. Mm. But yes, it is punnilingus. But in the in the mm. most British and wonderful sense. Mm. <laughs> I mean, basically, for anyone there, our dogs were our gods. And when we got to hug so many of them, I mean, there were all these amazing attractions. But obviously, for some of us, the best thing was just hugging dogs. And I got to hug mm. James Middleton's spaniels. James Middleton is now a sort of pet therapy advocate. And mm. his youngest, Nala, <laughs> I held her. And honestly, I could feel the serotonin pumping through my body. It was so lovely. Must In fact, the male caught my first ever real smile. 
Um, <laughs> I, I don't think of myself as having a smile, but when I held James Middleton's puppies, my face, oh my God, it was heaven. But then these, these lots of dog festivals now take place. My sister went to one on the same day at Ragley Hall, but it can't mm. be as good as Goodwood. I mean, it just can't. <laughs> was there a predominant dog? Was well, there a king or queen dog? Was I'm, there glad a dog they, I'm glad you asked me that deeply journalistic question because this <laughs> year um, was, was, there's always going to be a featured dog and this year it was Spaniels. And so there was a sort of Spaniel parade because the Duke oh had Spaniels, as does James Middleton. <laughs> so there was a Spaniel love-in. I've suggested for next year that they have unofficial dog meetups and that, you know, mm. at 11 o'clock it's sight hounds and 12 it's French bulldogs or whatever. Because, mm. of course, you go around and you see your dog a lot of... I mean, it's great for breeding. I think they should do doggy dating next year. Because if you're if you're going to breed, you know you or want... dogging even. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but you know if you're looking for a partner for your pup, this is the place to be. Uh, and then the, uh, the yes. dog competition. I mean, I know your dog has won parliamentary pup of the year. But yeah, well, because called... there were no other competitors. <laughs> Well, now they can enter for Chant Charmant. And there are amazing oh. prizes from Hermes. I really wanted one myself, but I, you know, oh, I couldn't. shush. Like, what sort of prize? Well, <laughs> they they were were all in I'm interested now. So you'd get a posh lead and a collar, and oh. I think some sort of bangle from Hermes. Don't, I mean, I, I, no one let me near them, obviously, mm. but I did, I did present them, and they looked amazing. But just hugging dogs was the main thing. So is it annual? Was this the first one, Goodworth? It or was. was more? It was the. Hmm. It was the first, and they're only going to get bigger and better. And it was. Right. I shall be there every year. Um, how do we, how it, do we get a ticket? Do we have to buy it on the internet? Yes, and and they're thirty five quid. Although I think there are lots of ways of getting a bargain via Waitrose and that kind of thing. I didn't I didn't quite keep up with that. But you can already register for a ticket alert. So if you go to the Goodwolf site, you can't buy mm. your ticket yet, but you can declare your interest. And please let's all go. It honestly Sarah's it googling it right now. Googling it right now. She's doing it right now. Sends a chill yeah. into my soul. You know, I I'm know. not very social, but in a I way. I agree. You don't have to be, do you? You can just go and hug dogs. And it's so civilised. I love that. I always come on and talk about the most important things, don't I? Beauty, yes. dogs. Should we talk beauty. about beauty at all? I have yes, perfume quickly. regards to send you. Because yesterday I was in Ormond Jane. And oh. it's perfumer and genius. Linda Pilkington was there. And yes. We were, we were invoking the vine name. Her tiare is my favourite perfume ever. Is it? Yes. I knew. I, I think it. you got me into her because yeah, you've been a she's fan really for years, good. haven't you? She is really I love Montebacco, which is sort of um, suede and leathery. But yesterday I fell in love with Ormond Man. Oh, I've never smelt that. Oh, it's but very, she good. Is very good. It's oud and black hemlock. Oh, goodness me, that sounds exciting. <laughs> I know. Um, it's very like a rich potion. <laughs> yeah, very I mean, I'm at, the, at the moment I'm very worried about my neck. Oh, really? In the I words of Nora Ephron, yes. in the words of Nora. Yes, I was on the telly box last night and I just looked at myself afterwards and I thought, you do need a lower facelift, Mrs. <gasps> oh, God, no, I've, <sighs> I've, I've been looking at my triple chins. Um, no, no, it's not my, I don't have the triple chin, I just have the... Stalk. I have the, <laughs> no, I have the wavy jowl. Mm. The wavy jowl is a terrible thing. There's nothing well, you, you know can do you about can, it. You can stick a bit of Botox in that. Can you resolve that, I, my wavy jowl, please, and then I'll be I happy. mean, that's where I have my big B. I don't really do much anywhere else, but I have it in Is my jawline. Right? 
otherwise I wouldn't have one. Yeah, it really works. It really Imagine works. And it doesn't give you each other. <laughs> I mean, a frozen forehead is a bit weird and a bit zombie. A frozen jawline is just absolutely bloody perfect, isn't it? I mean, who doesn't mm. want that? And I also do it because I've got TMJ. You know, I've got, I, I'm a grinder and I get pain No, in I'm my a jaw. terrible tooth grinder. I'm a terrible Ooh, tooth grinder. Both, and, um, image, and I also have an awful clicky jaw, which Imogen yeah, always gets too, cross me about. Me too. Oh, I mean, I'm basically an Neanderthal. Eating a croissant. Yeah, she can't stand <laughs> yeah. having dinner with me because she says I'm just making an awful noise. Yes. Yeah. Uh. So I see Michael Prager for lower face Botox. He started this lower face Botox trend and it is very youthening, as they say, because you, you don't end up looking like a zombie with a frozen head, but you mm. do end up with a clear jawline. And that's why his Botox is so natural, because he focuses on the lower half of the face. I mean, I've been doing it since I was about uh, <laughs> 12. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why you look about 14. Mm. <laughs> Well done, darling. Uh, well, okay, well, I'm definitely going to book for Goodworth and always lovely to speak to you. And we will speak to you, I hope, next week, Hannah. You will, you and will. With whatever it is the next thing you're doing is. Exactly, some new crisis, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> will emerge. At the forefront of journalism. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Exactly. Okay, my dears, much love. That was the inimitable Hannah Betts, who really doesn't any, need any no, introduction. No, I want her life, though, mm. I've decided. If you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. And if you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus, me at Westminster Wag or Imogen at Imogen EJ. You have been listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine and Imogen Edwards-Jones, honorary Cossack. Thanks for listening. <laughs> what is your Cossack name, by the way? Uh, Imogen Edwards-Jones, sorry. Oh, how do you say that in Cossack? <laughs> Imogen Edwards-Jones. <laughs> Come on, it must have a zero. must be true. <laughs> Pass the vodka. <laughs> Thank you.